Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, attorney and friend Paul Hoiberg joins me to talk about how to recognize and address emotional, sexual, and physical abuse in their children. And this can sound like a heavy topic. I, I totally understand that. But I, I really urge you to give this a listen. Even if you aren't somebody that's dealt with abuse, this is one of those topics that we need to talk about. We need to have more dialogue around. And the more we do, the better the chances are that we can identify potentially abusive situations and know what to do with them. So trust me, Paul and I are friends. So this is uh, this conversation, while powerful, is also conversational and I hope relatable. And we're still even able to work in some humor into some things as well. And and do me a favor, if you learned something in today's episode, this is one of those that I would love if you would forward or share on your social media platforms, because this is definitely a topic that we need to talk more about. All right, let's get to today's episode. Before we get started, I will make this so quick. I mean, this isn't even my betterhelp.com slash virtual couch ad. Although if you are looking for online therapy like 800,000 other people have done, then go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and get 10% off your first month's services. But there are only a few days left to sign up for Nate Bagley's Epic Wives Experiment. A lot of buzz around this. I had Nate on my podcast in episode 201. So go find that out if you want to hear more about the Epic Wives Experiment, but go to, I've got my own special link. Thank you, Nate. Go to toniesexperiment.com, T-O-N-Y-S-E-X-P-E-R-I-M-E-N-T.com for more information. Registration ends at midnight, May 17th. And again, Nate is a relationship researcher. Fascinating information. He's on a mission to rid the world of mediocre love. He's traveled the country interviewing hundreds of couples along with hundreds of America's top relationship experts for his podcast, The Love Umentary, to discover the key components for healthy relationships. He's a TEDx speaker. He's the founder of Growth Marriage, the uh, Mormon Marriages podcast, the Utah Date Night. And Nate's work has been published by ABC, the Gottman Institute, the Good Men Project, Good Morning America, NBC. Nate's a big deal. He's got a very cool program that I'm taking as well, even though I'm not an epic wife. And the Epic Husbands Experiment is coming in the not-too-distant future. But go to toniesexperiment.com and you can find out more about Nate Bagley's Epic Wives Experiment. Go do that today and let's get to the show. of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions, which continues to do well in the sexual health and recovery charts on Amazon. Uh, in that book, I play the role of the expert, and I'm creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all. And trust me, it can be done in a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way. Then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, there are only a couple of days left 
To sign up for Nate Bagley's Epic Wives Experiment, go to tonysexperiment.com, T-O-N-Y-S-E-X-P-E-R-I-M-E-N-T.com. For more information, registration ends at midnight, May 17th. Um, you can, uh, the, the epic husband's experiment is coming in the not too distant future. And, but this one, um, promises to deliver, to help relationships. And this one is specifically for wives. Although I have been very open about, it. I am taking it and I am learning quite a great deal. And, uh, go to Instagram at virtual couch, as well as Facebook, Tony Overbay licensed marriage and family therapist, or just go to tonyoverbay.com to sign up, to find out more things that are coming up that, uh, there's free things coming up. There's a lot of things that I'm, I'm trying to do to help relationships, help with your parenting, which reminds me, you can still take my positive parenting tip course. It's uh, there on TonyOverbay.com slash courses. It's absolutely free, and uh, that will help you, I think, become a better parent. And, and by the time you're done watching it, it's less than an hour, I believe, and you'll have some tools there that's based on the nurtured heart approach. And uh, I did mention a few episodes again that if you know what TikTok is, there's a virtual couch um, page channel account. Here's where I start to sound like the old man on TikTok. Uh, some, I believe, funny videos on there that I've created with my daughter. So um, head over there to, and, and sign up and follow and all those wonderful things that you can do on TikTok. All right, let's get to today's episode. Today is a it's a very powerful episode. My uh, my friend Paul Hoiberg, who is an attorney comes on to talk about how we can better protect our children from sexual abuse. And and I know this is one of those, and I think I said this in the intro, so it's, I'll, I'll make this very quick, but it's a, it is a difficult topic. It's one of those that I think, you know, as a therapist, my job is to talk about difficult things. So over time, you almost get just so used to it that you forget that these can be difficult topics to talk about. And uh, I think these are topics talking about sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse of children that we just need to have more conversations about. We need to get this information out into the world and make it a topic that we can talk about without feeling our own guilt or our own shame. So I believe that Paul and I have delivered on being able to have a, a relatable conversational conversation about recognizing and addressing emotional, sexual, and physical abuse. So, Paul is a partner in a Sacramento, California law firm that represents victims of sexual abuse, negligence. And what is so powerful about this is Paul shares his own story of how his own experience as a victim of negligence at birth led him to understand from a very young age when somebody in a position of trust or power doesn't act the way that they should and how that can affect people uh, in the long term and at times with some some pretty uh, big consequences. So even if you or your children have not been the victims of sexual abuse, I believe, again, this is an important episode to listen to as we discuss the ways that abusers groom, um, what to watch out for, and, and how to assess for abuse. And we get pretty specific about how to have conversations with those that you believe might have been victims of abuse. So, And we, and we talk about what to do if somebody has experienced abuse as a child or a teenager. And so I just highly recommend that you, you give this one a listen, share this one on social media platforms, um, send it to, to somebody that you know, you know, if they have kids or, or that sort of thing, or in the, if they're in a position of authority or they, you know, they work with children. Um, I just think this is a very powerful episode. In the show notes, um, Paul, I put a link here, Paul welcomes questions at abuseattorney at gmail.com. And then this one is also the interview is on um, the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. And I put a link to that in the show notes as well. So, all right, let's get to today's interview with a uh, friend and attorney, Paul Hoiberg. <laughs> 
action. Awesome. How am I? Do you want me to angle down the camera at all? No, you're good. I learned I learned the finer art of I'm it's up on a little pedestal right now because I, I learned something where if it was above me, then I am humble. If it's below me, I'm trying to be dominant. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I think I learned that from um, YouTube makeup tutorials. Not that I watch them. Oh, okay. yeah. But I mean, you know, you can gather a lot there. Uh, no, but I miss I miss our, our breakfast meetings. I drive by the I guess that if they don't advertise, I won't say their name. But the place that we typically have very early morning breakfast, uh, Paul's one of the only people that will get up early with me. Are you an early morning guy by nature? I'm an early morning guy for sure. I usually like to get up around 430 or 5. Oh, I love it. Get it's in the office. <laughs> right. But, and do you get do you find it? I mean, that morning those mornings are just peaceful. You get a lot done. Oh, so much better. I, I find that once 830 or 9 hits and phone starts ringing and everything else you you kind of have to you get broken out of your rhythm but yeah. it's nice to really get in and get things done yeah that's why i love uh, i love when uh, paul and i will just kind of reach out and hey are you busy or do you want to grab a bite to eat or whatever we know that it means five o'clock or maybe even earlier in the morning which is is awesome right. so so that is that is one of those reasons why i cannot wait for life to get back to somewhat nor- normalcy because uh I miss those, Paul. I don't feel like it's the same if we're just eating a breakfast burrito and having a Zoom conversation. Yeah, it's a little bit different than being <laughs> the only ones in a restaurant being able to talk. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just have to say very quickly, I, I was embarrassed the first time that Paul came to the restaurant, which is near my office, and the guy helping, you know, the usual Tony. And I, I never wanted to be the guy that had gone to somewhere so much that, uh, that there was the usual. So I was almost embarrassed. I tried to act like, oh, Paul, he's just... Uh, he doesn't really mean that, you know, but, but indeed, I heard the usual. Um, so Paul, let's kind of, and I, I've been excited to record this for a while and you and I have just all kinds of conversations. We solve all the world's problems, but, uh, this is the first time that we're really going to get together and talk about things, but it's an area of expertise for you. Um, but before we even get into that, I would love to talk a little bit about your background. So, so tell, tell the virtual couch listeners who Paul Hoiberg is. Yeah. So my name is Paul Hoiberg. Uh, I'm an attorney here in Sacramento, California. And I um, have been here for about seven years. Uh, the areas of law I practice in are uh, victims of sexual abuse, uh, negligence, um, traumatic accidents that happen. Um, I'm married. Uh, I have a little five-year-old, a two-year-old, and one on the way. That's congratulations, by, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. And then have you Thank been you. doing a lot of sheltering in place during this quarantine, or, or what's that been like? I have. I have. Yeah, we've been quarantining uh, just like everybody else has. And it's fun as you get to see people Zoom meetings and see how they've transitioned over spare bedrooms or yeah. kitchen tables and home offices. Yeah. Have you done any have you done any courtroom related things via Zoom? I mean, I've been hearing that that's a thing. You know, I've done mediations. I've done depositions. Yeah. And uh, you definitely have those proceedings. And it's always kind of funny because people are a lot more lax. Okay. <laughs> I was a lot more relaxed had... to know people. Yeah. So, I mean, are you noticing that it's uh, it's a, a different experience? I mean, quite a bit different than you had anticipated. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. It is a very different experience rather than kind of being in a formal uh, conference room. It's a lot more relaxed, um, but I find it's also a lot more efficient. People are able just to go straight at it. You're not you're not sitting there wasting time. Yeah. Everybody kind of wants to get it over with as soon as they can. That's true. That, that is. And so, do you, I don't know, out of curiosity, is your opinion that after this is all said and done, do you think that we'll be doing this a lot more? Or do you think that people will be eager to get back to face-to-face in person? No, I think, well, I think people will really be doing it a lot more. I mean, we've noticed even from our legal staff and court reporters saying, I don't think we'll ever go back to having to travel, you know, two hours down to Oakland, travel two hours back, spend a couple hours um, in the meeting. I think that there's some, some things that we're going to learn from this. 
Yeah, no, I, that's that. And I, I, I agree. Although as a therapist, I can't lie. I do love when people are in my office. Just that I think okay. I How the body. For you? it's been, a, you know, I'm i I'm an essential employee. I think you are as well, or, or whatever the term is, essential worker. So I, you know, I have, uh, you can actually see in the back here, I'm pointing anybody watching on YouTube, I have disinfectant wipes and I have hand sanitizer. So I still, <laughs> and, and I'm six feet away via my couch. So I still can meet with people. Some people do come in and, uh, but I'm finding that it, it initially was primarily zoom. And now I feel like people are starting, I think therapy is a big day out. You know, I think that people are ready to start scheduling therapy just as a way to maybe even date night for a couple. I don't know if it's uh, to that extreme yet, but I think we're getting there. <laughs> Um, okay. So, Hey, what I love about, um, just some of the things we've talked about before, and even in uh, the, you know, we, we put together a little bit of an outline on things we want to cover today and some of the things about your, so your background, but also there's, there's some, you know, serious trials or, or difficulties that you face. And, and that's something that I've known you for a while. And it was something that maybe we talked about for a few minutes at first. And then, you know, you don't really think about that, but in the context of what we're talking about today, it's pretty applicable. I mean, so are you pretty, are you pretty open to talk about, um, the, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just give you a little background. Um, when I was born, um, there was actually, uh, kind of a malpractice that happened. Um, some warning signs were ignored, uh, by the people, by the doctors. And as a result, the nerves on my right arm were severed and mm-hmm. I lost a lot of use in my right arm and it was permanently damaged. So for me, there's always been a personal connection with people uh, that have been hurt or people uh, because of other people's actions have been permanently affected. Yeah. And that's something that's affected me, you know, since the day I was born. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to have a, a support system around me, wonderful parents, you know, siblings, even uh, coaches and teammates that helped me up along the way. Um, but growing up, there were definitely some trials. Uh, that I had to encounter because of those physical limitations and because of that permanent damage. Yeah. And what were some of the, what were some of those experiences? I mean, you're a, you're an athlete and I imagine that was a challenge. It was, yeah. I couldn't use my right arm very much, use it maybe half as much as what the left was. And uh, when you look at me physically, I, uh, I tend to wear long sleeves. I tend to do a few things. So that way it's not as noticeable. Um, but especially growing up, it was especially hard uh, because I did, I did get uh, bullied quite a bit. I had people, you know, calling me uh, gimp, mm. deformed, cripple. Um, I played basketball and uh, played for my high school. And I remember opposing crowds, you know, chanting, chanting different things. Um, you'd have kids come up and, and grab your arm. Wow. Um, so you, you dealt with a lot of that. And so when people come forward and talk to me about you know, having been hurt by someone else or, yeah. you know, even some of these warning signs, it's something that for me, I have a personal connection to that. I go, okay, something, this needs to be paid attention to. Yeah. Do you feel like that made you by nature more of an empathetic person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's one of those things that for me, it's kind of like how you notice in, in, in your practice when people come to us in these situations in which there's been harm, in which there's been damage, whether that's physical, emotional, or mental, yeah, we hope that at some point you can close that chapter in your life and move on to the next chapter. And it doesn't mean that you ever forget those feelings. It doesn't mean that you ever forget those experiences. But you try to glean from that chapter how to be able to make yourself a stronger person going forward and hopefully be able to do, do good in the world. And to be able to help out other people. 
I love that. And, and I know this isn't exactly the direction we're going, but I'm curious if you've had that experience. I feel like sometimes when people, I mean, you're, you were an accomplished athlete. You were, was it all state in golf as well? I was, I, I played varsity in golf. I was actually, it was a small town in Idaho. So let okay. me just give that caveat. Okay. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was scholar athlete of the year, uh-huh. um, in my high school. Um, I played varsity golf, varsity basketball, wow. and, uh, I was valedictorian. Okay. So those things, do you feel like when people, and, and I, that, and I appreciate you bringing that up when people see that you're doing okay, do you think at times that, that people just assume that those, those emotional scars or that mental damage is gone? Oh yeah. I think that people go, Oh, he's fine. You kind of yeah. kind of brush over it. And I think it's the same way that when you see abuse victims, exactly. you tend to think, Oh, they're doing fine. They've got these other areas in their life. They're, they're doing fine. Or man, they come from a good family. They'll, they'll be fine. Yeah. Rather than realizing some of the damage that may have occurred and also how long that healing process takes. Yeah. You know, I, I still get reminded of, of the damage, you know, that was done at birth, even when I'm holding my children, Yeah. you know, when I'm holding my children or, or even, you know, when I go and when I'm shaking somebody's hand, uh, I guess we don't do that anymore, uh, right. but maybe the elbow. <laughs> um, but, but especially earlier on when you would see my right arm, you still felt those effects. Yeah. And I think it was one of those things that I think other people would, would say, oh, he's doing fine. Look at these other areas. But it's important to realize how long lasting that damage can be and what the steps are in order to, to experience healing and yeah. experience joy. And I love that. So then I feel like it, as a therapist at times, I see people that almost want to, or I don't know if they're, I don't want to say afraid to let go of that. Hey, this happened to me because there's almost this fear of if, if, if I say that, then people are going to say, well, then you shouldn't feel the way you feel anymore, or that shouldn't be something that holds you back. Do you think that's the case? Right. I think that a lot of times people just want to have a full closure of whatever yes. difficult chapter it was yeah. that they experienced. We want a full closure. We don't want any reference to it. And I think from what I've noticed from people that have overcome trials and overcome difficulties, a lot of times it's not that you have a complete closure, but it is a realization that healing can take place and that you can draw strength from those areas. But it's not just like a, a forgetfulness and almost a naivety to say that never happened. Yeah. No, that's beautiful because I, I feel like that you're right. We want the brain wants to to button things up, and it does want that full closure. And I think at times, just knowing that we're heard, or we can go and process or talk about it, whether it's their parents or or whoever it is, our spouse, that knowing that it's like, no, sometimes I just want to. I always say with my wife, sometimes I just want to vent, but it doesn't mean I need I need anything more than that. And I'm going to set that emotion aside and then kind of jump right back into life or try to be present or, or those sort of things. Um, I worry at times yeah. that when you know the kids though when they do come to parents that there can be that, what, this again? You know, I thought we talked about that before, or I thought that, you know, right? Did you ever have those kind of, those experiences growing up with the oh, arm? absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. I think sometimes, uh, to your point, I think people like to have closure in difficult mm-hmm. trial. You know, I'm amazed at how many of, of my clients will want to minimize their pain yeah. or almost just wish it away. And similarly, their family members want to wish it away. They want to yeah. act like it's not there. So to your point, the thing that I was, I was really fortunate is that I have parents that were always made available that whenever I experienced something painful, that they made themselves available so that way I could talk to them. Yeah. And, and it didn't matter, you know, even past high school, middle school years were tough. You know, there was a lot of bullying, a lot of uh, the, that name calling. But then later on, even later on, I remember, you know, going on date and having a short sleeve shirt and seeing somebody notice my right arm or perhaps you go out and I would be playing intramural basketball and, you know, people would obviously see my, see my right arm and, 
being nervous even as I talk to them afterwards and just going and talking to my parents saying, man, you know, this stinks. I still have to deal with this. And they were always so willing to talk to me. And um, I think that that was so healthy because it wasn't like there was just a limit on pain or it wasn't just like there was a limit on empathy. It was, no, this is a recurring thing. This is a recurring uh, and repeated damage. And I think it's the same way, similarly with other people, that it may have something where somebody who's experienced abuse could come back later on and say, man, I'm still having flashbacks. Yeah. Man, I'm still having these sort of scars. I still get nervous. I still get panic attacks in these sort of situations. And I would hope that with the family members or with anybody else with that support system to not say, well, that happened 10 years ago. We can't talk about that anymore. I think it's so healthy for them to be able to express that because once they do express that, then their feelings are real. And then they can bring those to the forefront and then they can go through it in a healthy manner to be able to have that healing because healing is a continual process. Yeah, I love it. Let me kind of, if you don't mind, I want to just kind of get on my soapbox for a a minute or two on on one thing. And then I want to jump into the specifics of what we're talking about today with signs of abuse and and ways to watch out for that and kind of facilitating those conversations. And uh, and I heard you on Joe Osler's podcast. It was amazing. I'm going to put links to that in, in my show notes as well. And so, but I love that you guys hit at a point where, you know, I'm, I always say that uh, every parent says, I, hey, hey, champ, you can come talk to me about anything. That is, that is, and we mean it. Parents mean that. But then when we do overreact or not, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. When we do react around, uh, they wreck the car, or get a, a ticket or fail a test, or uh, we find out they were smoking pot or whatever. And now here's this reaction that even though we said, you can come talk to me about anything, now, all of a sudden, what's that message the teen hears, right? It's like, well, I don't know if I buy that old man. You know, I got I to gotta watch what I say, right? right? Yeah. Right. So, so I just, I, I just want to kind of put that out there and not in the point of trying to shame a parent because we're human and we have our reactions as well. But I just love that you guys talked about that in, that, in, in your episode. I want to make sure we're talking about that today, of that we're still human as parents. But man, if we can just be very aware and intentional about watching our reactions and, and looking at this as a moment to connect with our kids. So, and I know you're all on board with that. Oh, absolutely. I think part of it is knowing kind of what the playbook is uh-huh. of what abusers will do yeah. and almost realizing what their playbook is and then having a counter to that. Because as we'll get into it, abusers do certain things that we as parents, we have to make sure that our reaction uh, doesn't go in line with isolating you yeah. know, the victim. It doesn't go in line with making them feel alone or making them feel like they're not believed. As we understand what this person may have gone through or what the person is trying to do to them, we can then make sure that we're doing those things that will facilitate healthy relationships, yeah. positive trust, Perfect. And, so, and really meaningful happiness. Well, and tell me then, Paul, what, what's, uh, you know, why now in particular and, and, you know, why is this such an important topic to, to bring up right now? Yeah. During this quarantine, obviously, it's, it, it's such a pivotal moment. Uh, for people, because uh, what this quarantine has done is it's allowed people the opportunity to evaluate who's in their household. Mm-hmm. It's allowed people the opportunity to be able to see exactly what's coming in and out of their homes. Now, when it comes to physical abuse and when it comes to the actual physical touching with quarantine, you know, there's a government order stating yeah. who should be coming, what the interaction should be between coaches, teachers, clergy members. This is a time for parents to be able to take an inventory as to who their children, who their youth, you know, brothers, sisters are in contact with and see if there's anything unusual there. 
Um, from an online standpoint, this is an incredibly vulnerable time yeah. because especially with youth being in isolation and just people in general, they're seeking for connections, yeah. right? They're, 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 they're reaching out for connections and it's all available online. And to be able to be in this time where everything is available online, they really have to be aware of what those connections are online because you couple it with a vulnerable youth seeking connections with an accessibility of them constantly being online. And I think that's when parents really need to realize it's kind of the perfect storm for possible abuse to happen. And that's why they need to be that much more aware. Yeah. And okay. And, and I love that. And now, um, and I'll kind of jump in and do the, and that doesn't look like telling your kids that, Hey, I didn't have the internet when I was young. And so I didn't need as much time online or because I feel like that's one of those where parents bless their hearts, think that that's going to make their, or, or cause their kids to go, man, mom and dad didn't need it. Why do I? But our kids are kind of growing up that this is their, this is their situation. This is their environment. And I know that I still remember 10 years ago as a therapist where Every, you know, when somebody would get online to do online gaming, the thought was that they were communicating with somebody who says they're an 18 year old kid living in Michigan, but it's some 60 year old guy living in his, you know, parents basement in Florida. And so, and I know right. that now it's, you know, that is the way that a lot of people connect. So, so I, I think, yeah, maybe, well, maybe your job will be to, to tell the facts. Mine will to come back in and say, parents, bless your hearts. It's time to listen. And like you say, take inventory and just, this is a time to gather data and, and start to really learn more about where your kids are at and what they're doing. Right. And I would hope that during our conversation and part of what, uh, believe it or not, a huge part of what I do is preventative measures, mm. you know, educating people as to how to avoid uh, these situations of abuse, educating people as to how to avoid accidents, uh, avoid these potential situations of negligence. A huge part of it is preventative. And it's just so much more because what we're wanting to do is to be, is not to have parents just say, okay, fine, we're boarding up the windows. Yeah. We're cutting off the Wi-Fi. We're not having any contact with the outside world. You know, it's not to do that. It's just more, how do we create the situations and how do we create opportunities for our youth and, and for ourselves to have positive relationships, yeah. have healthy relationships and to have meaningful self-worth. And yeah. I think when you're aware of those things, I think that you can take steps. Unfortunately, it's not full. It's not foolproof. Uh, there are tragedies regardless of how many precautions right. we take. In, but it can increase the likelihood that something like this will never happen. Yeah. And, and before we even jump into preventative too, I know I like what you say about the real damage being this betrayal of trust. You want to talk about that a little more? Oh, that's huge. You know, one of my colleagues that practices in this area, he said the whole damage that comes when you're talking about sexual abuse or abuse comes in the way of trust because what abusers will do is abusers will break down defenses and they'll build up trust and then they'll shatter it. They'll shatter it through abuse. They'll shatter it through control, through isolation. And then afterwards, it becomes so difficult for the person who's experienced that abuse to then be able to trust anyone, yeah. even to be able to trust themselves. The world doesn't make sense after that. And that's where the real damage through all of this comes through trust. Yeah. So, and what does that look like? I mean, for, or do you want to get into that later or do you want to kind of address that now? Sure. Whatever you'd like. It, it, yeah. I mean, the way that it works is that let's say that you have a, I mean, the classic example and what people often think of with regards to clergy is that, you know, this person esteems this clergy member, this church member, 
in this high regard. Yeah. And then they abuse that trust. And then after that, the youth, it's difficult for them to be able to ever look at people the same way because they go, man, I thought so highly of that person. Yeah. Everybody else who I don't think is highly of, they must be even worse. Yeah. Or my gosh, anybody that's trying to get close to me is just trying to get close to me in order to control me or in order to, to hurt me. And I think just even them evaluating what their own self-worth is. Yeah. A lot of times abusers will place that the only self-worth that they have is being under the control of this other person. Right. And once it's not, it's almost like they don't have any self-worth at all. And that's why it gets so hard. And, and, and tragically, you do see some victims of abuse decide to, to end their lives because it's so hard to make sense of any relationship. Okay, which is, which is all the, I appreciate that, all the more important to then, let's kind of break this down from preventative and, and then, yeah, what, uh, what are we seeing? Um, what, how do we bring awareness to this? And we've already kind of framed this with, without throwing shame at our, at our kids or, or whoever's going to kind of come and open up to us. So let's talk about prevention. Yeah, sure. Um, so when it comes to prevention, you know, this is something that I think from a physical standpoint uh, during quarantine, this is a time to be able to evaluate who's coming in, who's coming out of the home. If you have a coach, a teacher, a family member, a clergy member that's trying to have access to the child in secrecy, in isolation, you know, they're showering them with gifts, you need to be aware of what's going on. You need to be aware of who the kids are coming in contact with. Now, this is one thing I will say about abuse. It's not just, it doesn't just look like one way. This isn't just a robber coming in with a mask. You know, it's not just like, oh, you can just spot it out of a lineup. You have to be aware because it comes in all different ages and all different shapes and forms. And so I think the best thing to do from a prevention mindset is, is to not just think, oh, that'll never happen or, oh, that person could never. Um, It's important to realize and kind of break down those whatever you want to call it, naive or ignorant sort of thoughts to say, okay, I need to be aware of everything that's going on. Yeah. I would say I, I do a lot with, um, in, in couples relationships and there's this concept called the trauma bond. And one of those is where people just assume that either they do have uh, enough intelligence or a, a higher socioeconomic status or whatever it is that they would never fall for that. But, you know, abuse, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, sexual, um, I don't know, spiritual, any of it is uh, it, no respecter of persons, right? It isn't. Uh, and so I, I appreciate that. So the first step is, is awareness. Um, I like what you've said a lot too about, and, and again, framing it from a, let's have these conversations. So being aware of who's coming and going, but let's talk about what that looks like for a parent and a teenager. So that would be, um, I think parents a lot of times ask me, is it okay to have my kids passwords? Is it okay for me to uh, want to look at their phones. I mean, I, I've got my thoughts. I think we're on the same page. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that there has to be transparency. Yeah. Um, I think you can even open up, just as an example, you can open, you can open up your Facebook. Yours will exactly. be a lot more boring yes. to them. And saying, hey, we're just going to be transparent because we want to build up this trust between us. I need to know all your passwords. Here's what's going on. Let's let's create this uh, let's create this relationship of trust here. I love but it. But for parents to say, "Oh no, they have their section of privacy." As a youth, boy, that becomes dangerous. Boy, that becomes vulnerable. And I think this is where um, our brain wants to go to the kind of this black or white or all or nothing thinking. So it's almost like it needs that they, 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 we think as parents, we need to say, "Okay, uh, give me your passwords right now. I need to see what you're looking at," which is going to cause that. I love this phrase or this term. It's called psychological reactance. It's that instant negative reaction of being told what to do. And I feel like what you just said is brilliant. I love asking my kids, 
you know, instead of sitting down saying, have you guys seen anything bad on YouTube? I love, I love saying, Hey, what have you guys been watching? And I will literally pull up my phone and go through my history, you know, and, and it's saying, man, I got caught up on these. Don't try to laugh videos. And I, it looks like I went through a period of uh, sports highlights. Then I went on a, you know, I, I, the other day I went on this run of learning about all this stuff about North Korea that I'll never care about really. You know, it's like, okay, do you guys ever go on anything similar? And it's such a fun conversation to say, yeah, I was stuck on this or, you know, I was looking at these videos or so I love the, the idea of transparency. And, and I feel like that's maybe what it would look like or, you know, it, yeah. It and, I, and I have to give parents credit. It's hard right now. Yes. It's hard right now for every individual going through quarantine and, and, you know, sadly people have lost their jobs. You know, they're going through their own mental stress of, of being confined and kind of the uncertainty of the future. But I think if you're going to tune off one part, you know, if you're going to kind of be lax in one area, don't make it this. This yeah. is an area to make sure that you kind of bring your A game and be able to talk to them because of how important it is. And just given the conditions that are present, um, this yeah. is really a time to kind of turn on that awareness. Um, I, I think to your point, I think it's going in and talking with your youth and not making them feel like you're out there to catch them. You're yeah. out there to get them. Um, it's definitely one of those things to say, hey, I want to help make your life better. Yeah. And I want to help protect you. This is why we do these things, yeah. you know? And, and so having that mentality, and even when you have some of the older youth, it's even having them educate you and say, hey, Absolutely. I'm worried, you know, even your little brothers and sisters, can you help educate me on this? empower them to feel like they are knowledgeable and help them educate you. If you start noticing that they're trying to reclude, if you start noticing that they're saying, I don't know, you figure it out. Yeah. Obviously it may take a little bit more work to be able to build up that relationship and even just talk to them openly and say, Hey, I get worried about this. Yeah. Let's, I think you're, you're going to know far better than I am how to be able to speak to. to the no, but this is, this is exactly it, Paul. I mean, I love it. I mean, I even am thinking my, one of my daughters is going to, apparently I'm going to be doing some sort of TikTok dance at some point. I can't dance. I don't know what TikTok is. That's where I go. I am an old man, but it, instead of going, you're not looking at that TikTok, right? I hear it's really bad. It's, Hey, tell me about TikTok. What is this thing? I I'm missing the boat on this. You know, I'm not quite sure what it is. Show me. And And I think, I think that that's kind of, where we're coming from. Anytime that we're saying you're not doing this right. Or I wouldn't do that. Or I didn't have to do anything like that when I was young. Doesn't cause our kid to go, man, I want to be like my parents. It just, at this point it feels like, okay, I guess there's a wall there. And, and I think that's right. what's hard. And, and I love this too. I, I want to just mention, um, I, I really feel like it's important to just, whenever I get a chance to talk about this, that parents, I, I bless their hearts. Uh, don't look at every single interaction as if I have to hit the home run. I have to teach the life lesson and I have to motivate and inspire that those things come the more that we spend time nurturing or developing that relationship. And I think especially with what we're talking about here, that if we're looking at some form of, of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, anything with physical abuse, that, that, you know, that relationship is going to pay off uh, because that's, what's going to create an environment where a kid is going to be able to open up to us. Absolutely. And I think it's, that's one of those things that is so crucial to realize is that this isn't just one sort of singular instance where, they, where you say, hey, what's, what are you looking at on your phone? Oh, actually, let me show you all this stuff. And you find, wow, that was easy. Let me just figure it out. And I, I caught it. Right. Done. No. On to the next step, right? This is one of those things where it is going to take time. But I think as you start getting into their world without necessarily condemning their generation, yes. Yes. as you start getting into the world and saying, well, tell me about it. Help educate me. If this is what you're into, show me what your interests are. Because I think obviously what we're trying to do in preventing abuse and even helping people who have been abused is making them realize that they have self-worth. Yeah. Part of the way that we can help them see that we have self-worth 
that they have self-worth is by us being interested in what they're interested in, by us being able to show them that they're important, that they're important beyond just the checking the box, like, okay, done, good parent, done, checked in with the kid, but who they really are. Yeah, I love it. Okay, let's move on to, uh, I would love for you to talk, this is an area that the, the, the recognition, I mean, this is where I get to talk to people that are trying to process these things, but I don't, I don't know a lot around the area of, you know, recognition from, of, yeah, what, what should you be looking out for when it comes to abuse? Sure. So I think important, it's important to realize not only what to look out for, but who to look out for. When we talk about abusers, a lot of times we talk that abusers will groom. You may have heard that phrase, grooming their victim. Um, What this means is that they're going to try and exercise control. They're going to try and, um, Build up, build up uh, trust and break down defenses. And the way that they'll try and do this, sometimes it can be over time. Uh, sometimes it can be in an instant. But the way that they'll try to do this is that they'll try to get them isolated. They'll try to get that individual isolated. They'll try and make their relationship secret. Um, parents may notice that if a particular coach, uh, teacher, uh, whatever it is, clergy member, whatever it is, maybe um, spending an awful lot of time. And at first, sometimes it can even be flattering where it's like, man, you know, they really think my kids got, got some potential. Look how good they are. They're the star person. Um, but then it crosses that line where they start giving gifts. They start trying to have isolated and secretive conversations. They'll start telling the youth, uh, don't tell, don't tell your parents. They'll even start trying to isolate the youth away from their parents. They may be saying, Oh, I know your mom and dad say TikTok's a great example. I know they're saying that you shouldn't be on TikTok, but you know better. Mm. And almost just trying to separate the victim and trying to separate that individual, trying to groom them away from their support group. Yeah. So I think that when you see what abusers are trying to do, their whole point is control. Their whole point is trying to uh, take advantage of this person. Yeah. You know, it hit me right then too, Paul, is the, it's, it's the, the, the abuser is willing to play the, the long game. I mean, they're willing to put in that time and effort. And here we are talking about with parents oftentimes, and again, we're busy, we have a lot of things going on, but we're looking for those just individual, you know, I made my point right now moments, but we need to have that, that patience to develop that relationship as well. Absolutely. And I think having that, that knowledge that sometimes it isn't just a one-time instance. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it is, and again, it's, it, it's tragic, uh, but oftentimes as well, it is longer term and it becomes subtle. And yeah. that's why at first you don't notice it. And sometimes the abuser is charming. They're charming. They, they have qualities that would be admirable. They're in a position of power. Uh, they've had certain accomplishments that then when they get into that area of being able to break down that trust, um, breaking down that trust and just be immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more like, and so that will lead to certain things like, uh, I think in the, in some of the notes that we had here, um, you'd mentioned asking the child to lie, but then even they start to ask for things like pictures or video chats or, you know, just making them feel uncomfortable. I mean, that, do you feel like that's a part, a big part of the, what the abuser does? They do. And especially in the online world. And that's why we have to be aware and parents having passwords is they'll start making comments and it will cross over the line. At first they'll say, Oh, just send me a few pictures of your room. Send yeah. me a few pictures of, of you doing this, and then it will cross over the line. We'll send me one of, of you, you know, in your bathing suit, or send mm-hmm. me one 
start they start trying to cross over the line into that sexual area. They start asking for inappropriate pictures. They'll leave comments online. They'll even create deep fakes of that person doing sexual acts. Mm. Um, they'll they'll send them uh, pornographic videos. Yeah, yeah. And so, and at that point, I feel like that's where a kid can often feel that shame and, and feel like they can't go talk to anyone about it. And I feel like that's the part that just breaks my heart where then they're, they're going to feel alone at that moment. Exactly. The, the abuser is going to make them feel like, Oh my gosh, look at what you did. Yeah. Look at what you did. You're going to be all alone. And especially if it's somebody, you know, maybe you have somebody that comes from, from a particular faith where they'll come forward and they'll say, boy, your parents are going to be so disappointed. Can you yeah. imagine what people are going to think about them? And again, it just, further isolates them away from that healthy support system and makes them even more dependent on the abuser for the relationship. And it makes them more dependent upon them. Yeah. And, and I, going back to the trying to establish that relationship with our kids, I know we're saying, I will love you regardless. You can come and talk to me about anything. And I think that that still does need to be just, just expressed as, 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 as regularly as we can. Because that's, I think, I think we're talking about this is that moment that is hard when kids do feel like the abuser kind of does, has made them uncomfortable or has kind of put this, this doubt into their mind that they can't go talk to a parent or, cause that's the part I think as a parent, um, I hear parents talk about this often where they just like, man, why didn't they come to me? You know, I could have helped right then. I feel like that's kind of that, that moment, the catalyst. So do you feel like in those moments it would help? I know that you've got a lot of information about okay, now parent, you know, put on your uh, kind of an investigative hat and, and just be aware, you know, of what to look out for. Would that be something to cover next? Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, if the kid, you know, if the child comes to you and says, hey, this, this happened, you almost just want to wrap your arms around yes. them and just let them know that this was not their fault. And you may have a feeling that you have some scarring. My gosh, what if so-and-so knows? Mm. Oh no, that's going to make it awkward with so-and-so. You know, we've even had, I've even heard of people where they get worried where they say, Oh my gosh, you're going to have to tell your future spouse about this, or you're going to have to tell this, even, you know, these, these future scarrings. What I would say to parents in that moment is there can be healing that can take place down the road. That's going to address some of those issues. Yeah. But in the moment that the, that the youth has the courage to come forward to you, that should not be the time that you manifest any of your own personal scarring emotions or worries. The emotion that you should share is unbelievable love Yeah, and unwavering love and letting them know and almost just appreciation of them being able to come forward and tell you because of how much courage that takes. Yeah, exactly. That's something that most people don't do. And, and I think that that's, uh, and, and on that podcast you had done with, uh, with Joe Osler, he was talking about a dad that said, that's the, that's thanking them for, this is the moment that parents live for, right? The, the time that their kid does feel like they can go to them. I mean, there is almost like nothing, nothing greater than uh, a parent that knows that their kid has brought them something difficult to deal with or something that they, they thought they maybe couldn't. So I think just expressing that to uh, even maybe parents proactively expressing that to a kid of, you know, that, that if anything, you know, that would, I would be even more grateful if you, if you trusted me with that, if if something happened. Right. And I think even for victims to be able to realize that, that if the parent tells them that when the abuser is trying to groom them and tell them, no, you're an ice, you know, the isolation, no, they'll never love you. It's almost like, no, you're wrong. Exactly. You're wrong because I know for a fact that my parents love me. Not only have they told me repeatedly, 
but they've also shown me. So the parent, and you can even teach the teens how to be aware of what's going on. This isn't just solely, again, not just put it on the shoulders of the parents. Right. These are things that they can help educate their teens and educate the youth to be able to say, hey, watch out for these things. Yeah. Hey, watch out for these things to be proactive because I want you to have healthy relationships. I don't want you to experience this. But just so you know, if it ever happens, we're going to go through this together. Yeah. You know, I love that you said there, I've actually had a few people at times where a teenager will reach out to me because a fellow teen has confided in the teenager because they, they have maybe not felt they could in, with their own parent. And so you're right. Even having our teenagers be aware of, of this is, uh, is going to be helpful, not just for their own sake, but even there, will, there, there could be a chance that people turn to them as well. Well, and I think building that tribe of support is so crucial. Yeah. It's so crucial and something that can be done with parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, but also just other teens as they're aware of what's going on. As yeah. they're aware that, hey, that, co- you know, that particular adult is targeting this person and I see something that's going wrong. And that's why even if the youth can be able to go to their parents and talk and to be able to say, hey, I think this is going on, that becomes so helpful even for the youth to almost be uh, sort of a guardian of their other of their other friends. Yeah. So so I would love to get to I know this is uh, this is the part that can maybe sound a little bit, you know, uh, I think we want to have the conversation. But are you OK talking about those warning signs to look out for? And, and because I think this Absolutely. is important for parents to know, and it might make some parents feel uncomfortable. And bless your heart, but but we want that awareness out there so that people know. Yeah. So there are definitely some physical signs and emotional signs. The physical ones um, are a little bit easier to recognize. The emotional ones uh, take take more awareness. Um, physically, if you're noticing uh, things, if your youth does have a sexually transmitted disease, um, if you notice that they have difficulty walking, sitting, standing, if you're noticing them having overly aggressive sexual behavior. Um, this can be manifest in the way that they uh, interact with others, especially with young children. Uh, they may have overly aggressive um, sexual behavior. It can be manifest in the way that they treat animals. It can be manifest in their drawings. If you notice that there's been a reversion back um, of, um, of kind of maturing, if you're noticing that, you know, your youth that hasn't wetted the bed in years is all of a sudden wetting the bed, um, it can also become manifest in the clothing that they wear. They'll either wear overly protective clothing in which they don't feel like they can ever um, show any part of their skin or their well, or they won't wear much at all because they'll almost feel like that's where their self-worth is attached. Um, other thing is, is that uh, you can notice radical shifts in grooming and bathing. Um, again, parents... It should, we'll often say, oh, that's just what a teenager does. Right. What I'll, what I'll say to every parent is, you're never going to regret just taking an extra look. Yeah. And even though some of these things in isolation may be attributed to, you know, growing and maybe attributed to youth, whatever it is, um, being able to see the combination of these can really uh, trigger something. Yeah, no, I love that. And then, and because I always say the same thing, it's always better to over-communicate than under-communicate. It really is. You, 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 you would rather... Uh, think I, I maybe made things that I, I might have made my team feel a little bit awkward for a moment rather than I didn't really want to ask that question. And then I just hope that, that there wasn't a, a correlation. Um, talk about online, because I think that's one of those things where people do see, you know, what are some of those symptoms uh, online? Or I guess we're getting there, right? Right. Well, yeah. I think especially when it comes to what you're noticing from an emotional and online standpoint is if the teen is spending excessive time online, yeah. if they are... If you notice that when you come into the room, 
they'll immediately shut their laptop or they will almost become compulsive. If you tell them, Hey, you know what? No internet tonight. And they become really aggressive and almost just mad. It's, it's a requirement that they be online. Um, that can be something, um, they, they become obsessive and they also start becoming secretive. Yeah. You notice that they're, they're, they're trying to hide away what they're doing. Um, those are warning signs. You know, it's one thing to have a kid that boy just wants to finish that video game. It's another thing that they have to be online yeah. because of, just again, from what abusers will do, they will require them to be online. They will require them to have access to them, especially during this time where they can't have physical contact with them, they'll go emotionally and they'll go online and say, no, you're going to be here at this time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm not, uh, this is, I, I'm, I think I'm not wanting to say this cause I don't want to sound like I'm trying to run for father of the year. But when you talk about that, my son may play a tad bit of Fortnite, maybe even a little bit more than that. And, uh, and I do love kind of when people will ask me, well, what does it look like, you know, to not, to, if you want your kid to be off and he's been online forever. And, and I love the relationship where, I can go in and uh, you're right. He's not going to immediately feel like he has to shut it down or, you know, and it's going to be, and I love when, you know, all right, I will sit there. I will watch. I'll ask a question or two. Granted, he'll be annoyed because he's talking with his friends, but then he'll even say, you know, Hey, my dad says, hi. I mean, I love that. And I feel like at times where, you know, I think his friends like what, you know, your dad knows that you're playing. He's right there by you. And I just feel like I want people to have that relationship because, and I like what you said is I think that then he's going to be more apt to get off the uh, offline if, uh, if he knows that that's, again, that's the healthy relationship that is, I'm not going in there to just try to make him feel bad about whatever he's doing. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not, and it's not the generational shaming, you know, because right. online, I mean, when people, just when you brought up earlier about it being, Hey, we didn't, we didn't go through this when we were youth. You're right. We didn't, but we also didn't take online classes. Yeah. And we also, we also didn't have school where you had to be online and all of our friends, you know, we may have communicated by the phone. We also didn't go through a quarantine, right. you know? This, this is a new, this is a new, a, a new board. This is a new um, set of standards and a new set of rules that I think for us just to kind of say generational shaming, they're just going to turn us off. Absolutely. And I think, and I think they're just going to build that barrier and build that barrier of isolation almost from a generational standpoint. And so yeah. I think as we can connect with them and almost create healthy boundaries, um, I think that they can appreciate it. Yeah, no, I love it. So then what's, uh, what's next? So then I think we're kind of leaning into the, our reactions. I think we've kind of laid the groundwork yeah. for, for, you know, not overly reacting, not uh, reacting with shame or guilt. So talk about that. Yeah, I think the reaction, obviously, it has to come from a place of love, that immediately you speak with them. It's not to not acknowledge what they went through to say, oh, it'll be fine, or boy, let's just have you go talk to someone else. Mm-hmm. but immediately to acknowledge what they've been through, to talk with them, and to realize the steps that can be taken. But parents don't need to feel like they're alone in this, because it can be daunting. Being a parent alone is daunting enough, but then when you're dealing with this, it can be hard. And it's one of those things that for parents realizing that they have other resources at their disposal, um, and the victim especially has other resources at their disposal, it's not their fault. Yeah, They were not the ones that caused this. And even though the abuser may say, oh, well, you were the one that sent me the video or you were the one that did this. No, no one who is a victim of sexual abuse, it is not their fault. Yeah. And I think that is the first and foremost thing to make them realize that they shouldn't feel shame because of this. And also to realize that they are going to have a tribe of support, however much they want, that is going to help them to be able to help them heal, to help them build up. 
and to help be able to progress to another chapter in life in which they will be able to feel joy and happiness. I think that's crucial immediately from the get-go for them to realize that. No, that is. And, and what just came to mind, I know this is a slightly a, a tiny bit off topic, but I'm doing so I do trauma work with people at times. And when we are going back to even talking about their relationships with with whether it is coaches or parents or teachers or that maybe were even verbally abusive or emotionally abusive. And and I, I was meeting with someone a couple of weeks ago and just in passing one quick sentence that they said was, you know, they, they had recognized that uh, someone in their life had always been angry and, and had really been angry at them. And they said, but I know that I know that I'm sure that I was provoking that. And I, and I stopped for a second and I, and I was kind of saying, all right, Hey, we're talking about when you were 10 or, or nine or eight. And then, you know, tell me more about that. And they were saying, well, I, you know, and it was basically the classic, I'm sure I spilled things. I'm sure I broke things. So that, so naturally this person's going to freak out on me. And I thought, Oh man, no, you know, that it, you didn't deserve that. You're human. You know, you're going to spill things. You're going to break things. And and it does just show you where at that point where, where trauma can kind of um, attach and then carry forward and where somebody feels like, well, I'm sure it was me. I'm sure that I was the problem. And I think that same thing can happen with, with yeah, like you say, with sexual abuse or, or, or similar. Yeah, great point. I, I think that for people, they, a lot of times the reason why they don't come forward is they say, well, it was my fault. Yeah. I, I was the one that did it. I was the one that caused it. I could have said this. I could have said that. Boy, when you start realizing what's actually gone on in some of these tragic situations, you realize, no, it, yeah. it's not your fault. And, and, and being able to realize that you didn't have as many options as you thought you did. Right. Because you were being groomed and you were being manipulated oh. in a certain way in which they were literally trying to control your actions. And just having that knowledge that you weren't the reason that that happened but then also flipping it and saying, but guess what you are in control of? Yeah. You're in control of this part. You're in control of what can happen going forward. And here are the resources at your disposal. Here are the things that can help you. Here are the ways that you can be able to get better. We're going to address that pain. We're not going to just brush over it. Mm. We're going to address what that pain is, but we're going to go through it in a healthy way, in a constructive way. And I think that's when people, uh, when, when therapists, can be so helpful. Therapists like you that have that professional training, that's when support groups, other people that have gone through this, that, that the individual can see, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person that went through this. There are other people who may be in a different stage, either they're earlier than I am or they're later on down the road in which yeah. this is something that they've overcome. I love being able to see people who have overcome this, that, to be able to see that, man, they, they become victorious after this. You know, they, they, they have joy in their lives. You know, you hear about this from different individuals where afterwards, even some of them do, do things where they help out other victims. Yes. Where they say, you know what? I went through that particular type of abuse and I come out the other side and this is how I'm able to help out other people. That's, I want to just isolate that last minute and a half there, Paul. That, that, that's, I mean, that, yeah, be courageous there. And you, you've used the phrase before, wear your own scars or trials. Um, what does that mean? Is that what you're talking well, about now? I think, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's one of those things that when you have those scars or trials, it's not that those scars ever go away. Let's, you know, when, when we talk about it with, with my right arm, and I'll just use that as an example, yeah. um, you know, do I view myself as a cripple or as a deformed now? I don't. Yeah. I'm a father. I'm a husband. That, that's who I am. Um, is it something I always remember? It is. And it's one of those things that now I draw strength from that. I draw strength from that. It's not that it's ever gone away. You know, it's even just 
you know, last night as I'm holding my, as I'm holding my child, you know, I still have to switch over to the other side because my right arm gets really tired uh, mm. quickly. It's not that it ever goes away, but it becomes a strength because I go, because of this, I'm able to learn, I'm able to grow, and I'm able to hopefully help out somebody else who may have gone through something hard. Yeah. No, that's, I love it. It's beautiful. Um, let's, let's kind of uh, button things up here with, you know, you, you call it building a tribe. So what happens next then? So, so now we've, we've kind of brought some light to this awareness. We've hopefully done a nice job of, of having the conversations. And now, yeah, where do we go next? Yeah, so I think obviously being able for the parents knowing that they don't have to do it all on their own, that there is a support group. Um, they can research online. Again, you don't just want to push these victims into an area that they're uncomfortable in to say, okay, you told me about this. I'm, I'm taking you down to Tony's yeah. to Tony's office. You can wait out there for his next appointment. Right. You know, It's not pushing them to a place in which they're uncomfortable, but also realizing the steps that can take place, getting professional help. You know, there's the legal resources. This is what I do yeah, um, to be able to help out from a, from a legal perspective. And a lot of times people will think, oh, I don't want to come forward legally because I don't want my, my name to be in this lawsuit or right. I don't want everybody else knowing. But I think it's important to realize that in California, especially, we just passed the number of laws that really do help out victims of abuse. Um, there's also confidential provisions in which we can file the lawsuit. Uh, Jane Doe. Okay. We can file it so that way the name isn't even public. The judges have a very high standard that when they're investigating what's going on or when the other side is trying, when the defense is trying to get, you know, discovery materials, there's a very high standard in favor of the victim as to what degree of their lives are going to have to be investigated. So when you start piecing together these other parts of the tribe so that that way the individual doesn't feel like they're on their own still. But yeah. they don't feel like they don't have the support system, that it's just them versus the abuser. And boy, do they not want to have any contact with that's them what, at all. No, I'm so glad you're talking about this. I mean, that's where I've worked with a handful of teenagers who that part, man, we can do so much around, uh, you know, it's not your fault and recognizing these things. And I mean, we can do so much with getting them to that point where they feel like, okay, I, I can start to take back my life. But then there's still that just fear of of that the abuser or confronting the abuser or that just that fear alone or that they'll continue to torment them in their lives or so. And, and I feel like, is that where then maybe that is where the legal piece might come into play and that, that down the road, Definitely. that can give somebody comfort to know that I don't have to worry about that. Exactly. And I think realizing that they're not the ones that are going to have to confront them. Mm. They're not the ones that are going to have to do it. It's going to be the lawyer. It's going to be them going through a judicial process with a judge, being able to make sure that the laws are followed. Because, gosh, do the abusers want to just have it in isolation and play by, by their own set of rules yeah. and have control over every player in the game and have control over every rule. But when you take that away and when they have to follow the rules and the laws that are in place, it becomes a whole different set of circumstances. And all of a sudden, the victim becomes empowered. If there has been actual abuse that's taken place and harm, there are protections for them. And I think that's important for them to realize that there are healing resources through therapy, support groups, you know, just even just friends and family bonding, bounding around them and yeah. being able to, to gather around. But then there's also people that can be able to fight their battles for them. And I think that's so important for them to realize. Yeah. And I think at times that, and I know I'm projecting here a little bit just from some people that I've worked with, but where that, that often becomes the final piece of the puzzle to kind of bring. And I know we started the podcast by saying, 
you know, we can't just have this, this buttoned up closure and never worry about it again, but sometimes that can feel empowering. And, uh, and I remember, I, you know, I remember studying for my licensing exams and I remember the concept where you had to learn so much about abuse and the abuser. And there was even this, this, uh, there was a, a section on a study guide that I, that I was, I remember very well where it talked about that most abusers, <clears throat> excuse me, they, they, they have abused others and they have, they will continue to abuse. And even if they got out of this, then that doesn't mean that, okay, they learned their lesson because no, if anything, they just, they were they manipulated and got out of this by the skin of their teeth. And so it's like, what, how can I do this differently now to not get caught the next time? Oh, you nailed it. And, and, and that's one of those things that even it empowers the person who does come forward to realize I'm not just going to be healing myself. This isn't just a part of my own healing, but I may be protecting others. I yeah. may be stopping this because to your point, yeah, abusers, it's not just, this becomes almost a drug for them where it's yeah, they're controlling, they're exactly. manipulating the person and they do it to other people. A, a way that I got into this area of law was tragically because, you know, this person had been hurt and we went forward and we, we made it known. And then afterwards we got a lot of calls from other parents that said, Hey, that happened to us too. Hey, that happened to us too. Yeah. You know, and you started having, other we just didn't know what we could do. And so when you start making the victim aware that, hey, you coming forward will not only help yourself, but may even help out other people. That just be, that should, should just give them that much more strength to realize that they should not feel shame at all. Absolutely. That, that's, that, no, that's, that's perfect. Uh, Paul, I, I don't think I've ever had as smooth of a conversation. I thought it would just, I thought it was only going to be happening over uh, bacon and eggs. It would go this smooth. But I mean, I really, I really appreciate your expertise and your knowledge. I appreciate your, your openness and vulnerability of even talking about uh, some of the things that you've struggled with as well. So if, uh, if people do want to get a hold of you, is there a place uh, that's easy to find you? Yeah. Um, feel, they can email me abuse attorney at gmail.com. Okay. Um, feel free to email me. They can give me a call or, uh, okay. look me up and I'd be happy to speak with them. Okay. And I'll put some of that information on the show notes as well. Um, Paul Hoiberg, hopefully this is, a, is the first of many, uh, podcast appearances to come. Thank you very much, Tony. Appreciate you and appreciate your work. Okay. All right. Hang on one second. Thanks, Paul. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most It's
Do you know?